in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, and the outline that you have in front of you is not what we're going to do today. <laughs> I don't normally do this. I'm sorry. I apologize. But um, it seemed like I had it down when I put the outline together, and after I've, I've you know, poured over the verse for longer, and now I don't like my own outline. So I'm discarding it, okay? That's very rare, but uh, uh, I'm discarding it. And I'm going to start, actually, from uh, chapter 3 and verse 18. Now, please don't worry. I am not going to go through all of the Noah stuff and, uh, you know, all of the stuff about baptism that we did couple of weeks ago yeah all that confusing stuff all right that's in the past i'm not going to touch it again but i do want to talk about verse 18 and verse 22 and then go into chapter 4 down to verse 6 so that's what i'll be reading so first you pay attention oh, i just said first peter chapter 3 and verse 18 Okay, and now, and Dory, I'm going to skip once I've read verse 18. Okay, all right. I'm just checking. Okay. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead." For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Now, this passage also, of course, has its challenges, doesn't it? Especially that last bit there in verses 5 and 6. You're thinking, well, who are the dead? Don't worry, I'm going to explain. But uh, basically, what this passage is about is that Peter lifts up as the great example of how we're to live the Lord Jesus himself. Christ suffered, verse 18 of chapter 3, he suffered once for sins, once for sins. Jesus didn't have to die again and again. He didn't have to be sacrificed again and again and again. This is why we know that the Roman Catholic teaching of the sacrifice of the Mass is false. It's wrong. It's a wrong teaching. It is not Jesus that's being sacrificed, okay, in those elements. 
Christ died once and he is now risen and glorified. You don't take the risen and glorified Christ and sacrifice him again. That wouldn't be possible anyway because he's glorified. So Christ has suffered. Christ suffered in this world. And uh, we need to remember that. The, the, uh, the kinds of suffering that Jesus endured were, you know, just the normal stuff that people encounter in the world, you know, from the time he was a, a young kid through the times that, uh, you know, before his baptism and his ministry, he would have encountered all kinds of different troubles, the kind of troubles that met everyone who lived in the ancient world in uh, ancient Israel. So that would have, he would have got sick and he would have, uh, you know, got bumps and bruises. He would have been called names. He would have uh, had times of sadness and grieving and so on. Remember, Joseph, it appears, died before Jesus uh, came to his ministry. So he would have known all of those incidental things. But then once he came to his ministry, then what was the first thing that he encountered? The first thing that he encountered upon his baptism was Satan. Yes, he went out, the spirit thrust him out into the wilderness and he was there 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted of the devil. Well, have you... Have you had that kind of testing, that kind of temptation? Then he came back and started preaching. Of course, his preaching caused all kinds of uh, trouble in and of itself, not because it was wrong, but because it was right. But it went against the the prevailing teaching of the day. And so jesus he became popular but he also became very unpopular unpopular with the authorities unpopular with the movers and shakers of the day became so unpopular actually that they finally did him to death but even before that remember that jesus encountered people in their suffering and he he had compassion on them And when he had compassion on them, that that means that he entered somewhat into their misery. He didn't, uh, he wasn't a, a, a healer who was aloof from the people that he was healing. He understood the misery that things had caused. The woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years, he understood the misery of that. He understood the misery and the loneliness of the leper who had to go around, if they were anywhere near people, cover their mouths and shout that they were unclean. Fancy doing that for years and years. He understood that. He understood what it was to grieve. So at the, at the graveside of Lazarus, he himself wept. And so Jesus was a man who was acquainted with grief, as the prophet Isaiah says, and one who understood sorrow. So he suffered. He suffered from the authorities. He suffered, as we all suffer, through the different things that happen to us in this life. 
But of course, he suffered finally at, at the cross, the just for the unjust. It's one thing to suffer because you're guilty, you brought it on your own head. It's another thing when people just put it on your own head even though you're innocent. And of course, he is supremely innocent. He never did anything that was wrong, never did anything that anyone could point to to convince him of any sin or wrongdoing. And he suffered for us in a judicial way so that the justice of God could come upon us, but not for what we deserved, but for what Jesus had wrought on our behalf. And God justly forgives and clears the person who has trusted in Jesus as his savior. He's just to do that, okay? You're unjust. I'm unjust. But you've been justified by God if you've trusted in Jesus. That's the gospel. It's a legal transaction that has happened. At the the very heart of it, it's a legal thing. Now, because it's a legal thing, there's no double jeopardy. Okay? You can't be tried again for the same offense. Your offense was you're a sinner. Okay? So you trust in Jesus, you're forgiven, you can't be tried again, even though I know you're still a sinner. Because you've been justified. You get it? Okay, not if you understand what I just said. I'm looking for nodding here. Okay, nodding? Okay, all right. But verse 22 goes on and says that Jesus, the risen Jesus, has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. He's not sitting on the throne of God. He's at the right hand of God, which is the hand that is most trusted, okay, as an advisor, as a mediator. He has God's ear, of course. And he is uh, like Joseph, for example, who was next to Pharaoh in power, but was given authority over all of the land of Egypt. Jesus, it says here in verse 22, has been given authority over angels, authorities, powers. Jesus, the risen Jesus, said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. That's a lot of authority and that's a lot of power. So the risen Jesus wields great authority and he is on your side. So that's how Peter sets up what he's going to say in the first part of chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Now, what was the mind of Christ, therefore, when he was here suffering in the flesh, putting up with a world full of sinners, putting up with liars, putting up with deceivers, putting up with people who, you know, committed sins one against another, 
He could see it. He was the only one, perhaps, who could see it. Because he didn't do it. He wasn't one of them. And so he saw more clearly the imperfections and the sins of of human beings. What was his mindset? His mindset was a single-minded mindset of service to his father. He had a mission. He had something that he was to do, and no one was to to get him off track, not even Satan. Nobody could break that mission that he had, that mind that he had. Now, elsewhere in the New Testament, we're told that we have the mind of Christ. It's in 1 Corinthians. We have the mind of Christ. Now, we have the mind of Christ not because we have his intelligence. That would be nice. But we don't have that. We don't have the mind of Christ in that we know and have experienced the things that he has. But we do have the mind of Christ as far as our ability through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God to have a single mind for the service of God. And because the the Bible tells us how we are to live in the world, and of course this passage is going to give those uh, directions as well, we can be like Christ in the way we choose to live, the, cho- the things we choose to think about, the things we choose to value and prioritize. Now, we're not, we're not going to be like Jesus as far as getting it all right all the time. We have to course correct every day, don't we? I know I do, not just every day. But we, to ha- we to have the same mindset of Jesus. Now, why, though, does Peter use this term, arm yourselves? I mean, that's a military way of talking, isn't it? Why does he say that? Why doesn't he just say, have the mind of Christ? Or make sure you're like Christ? Why does he say, arm yourselves? Well, it's because of what he's been talking about and what he's going to go on and talk about in chapter 4, which is the subject of suffering. The subject of suffering. Suffering is going to come. Suffering is what we have to put up with. Now, I thank God that we're living in the 21st century in America. We could be living in the 13th century in China or somewhere like that, somewhere in Africa or India. Yes? I mean, they used to burn, if the, if the, if the husband died first, he used to burn the wife alive. So, yes, yeah. So, really, really. So, we, we're blessed where and when we live. And for that reason, we don't encounter the kind of suffering that many people have done throughout the history of the world. It's possible that, you know, in the days ahead, who knows, uh, but as, the, as uh, America and its climate turns more and more ungodly, that we will encounter suffering. And so we've got to be ready for it. We've got to arm ourselves for it. 
Okay? When you arm yourself, your thinking is clear. You think, well, I need this, and I need that, and I need to put this on. Oh, that doesn't fit. I need to get one that fits. I need to get something that fires. I need to... Do you understand? You start thinking in those terms. You're sober-minded in the way that you do it. So we have to be that way when it comes to the subject of suffering. Because it's possible, isn't it? I mean, we've all, I suppose, been there when uh, something, some trouble comes upon us that we kind of wilt. And we throw up our hands and we wonder why it's happening to us. So we have to make sure that we are arming ourselves. And what do we arm ourselves with? Worldly answers? Our own wisdom? No. We arm ourselves with the same mind that Jesus had, this single-mindedness to do the will of God. And then Peter goes on and says, second part of verse 1 and first part of verse 2, For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, comma, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Now, what does he mean there? We might want to pick that apart and, and say, well, hold on a minute, Peter, your theology is a bit off here, because people suffer and they're still sinners, and they still go on to sin. Well, he knows that. He's well aware of that. Okay, What he means is, the person who has suffered in the flesh for Christ, being armed with the right mindset, that mindset is not a mindset of continuing, continuing in sin and temptation and selfishness. And those things that putting yourself first and putting your own satisfactions and so on first bring with them. That life of sin. That's what he means. A life of sin. Someone who has suffered for Christ, someone who has this mindset like Christ did in the midst of suffering to still do the will of God is not living a life of sin. They have ceased from that life. That's the idea. Okay? And if that's, the, if that's the way that your mind is, you will not spend the rest of your life here serving the kinds of things that he's going to speak about in verse 3. Instead of spending your time in the flesh for the lusts of men, you'll do the will of God. So suffering as he will go on to say, can have a positive um, impact upon a person's life, even though you don't want it. I mean, don't, don't, I'm not asking for suffering, okay? I'd rather have the positive impact without the suffering, okay? Like, you know, teach me, hopefully I'll get it, and so I don't need to, to suffer for it. But sometimes it's the will of God that, that his saints suffer. And it's not necessarily because God thinks you're bad. 
or thinks you need chastisement, you know, we must be careful about that. If there's known sin in our life, then perhaps the suffering or the trouble that comes upon us is God chastising us for it. But if there's nothing that's, uh, that, you know, indicates that, the suffering that comes upon us is not necessarily chastisement, and we shouldn't think cut off from God or that God's disapproving of us just because we're suffering. It could be that God is pleased with us and we're suffering. What do you think of that? I mean, it's true. You could suffer and God could be pleased with you. Because you still want to do the will of God. And in verse 3, Peter reflects on our past lives. Now, I got saved when I was 25. So I had plenty of years to sin in. I mean, to give myself over to a life of sin. Some of you got saved after the, the age of 25. Some of you got saved before that. Even if you got saved before that, okay, you still had plenty of time to sin in. Yes? We have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Now, what is the will of the Gentiles? We're here. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. You say, uh, what is Peter doing here? Is he identifying definite traits that everybody has done? No, he's doing, these are general traits. Because in the society of the day, for example, drunkenness, let's just take one example here, drunkenness was not only accepted, it was expected. It was expected in the feasts, particularly of the Gentiles, that people would get roaring drunk for days. And in their drunken stupidity, they would do all kinds of licentious and wicked things. Fights, prostitution, you name it, <clears throat> gambling, lewdness, because when a person is drunk, they often do things and expose themselves in ways that they would never think of if they were sober. Lusts, revelries, drinking parties, Idolatries, that's worshipping idols in these festivals. That's the idea that he's bringing here. Now, the fact that he talks about the Gentiles in verse 3, again, by the way, points to the fact that Peter's audience is mainly Jewish. Okay? But in verse 4, he says, In regard to these, they think, this is the people that... that, that, uh, Christians are living around. They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. Dissipation, um, it's the, the actual Greek term that's, that's uh, used, it means excess. 
Okay? It means to, uh, to throw off all kind of, uh, uh, moral guidelines and just give yourself over to whatever. That's the idea. And people in this time and today think it odd, think it strange that Christians want to live a holy life. Why don't you come out and have a good time? Why don't you take a drink? Why don't you take, you know, smoke this joint? Why don't you take this pill? And they think it odd that you don't. Look. This is not an appeal to common sense that Peter's making here. It's an appeal to sanctification. Just because a person uh, has the common sense not to do this, and there are people in the world who have the common sense not to get wrapped up in this, yes? Doesn't mean that they're worshipping God and doesn't mean that their lives are acceptable to God. No, there has to be a mindset to do the will of God, and because I want to do the will of God, I know that God doesn't approve of these things, therefore, the answer, when I'm tempted, is no. You see? That's a different kind of uh, of a reason for not doing these things. So if somebody tempts you as a Christian, says, well, take a drink or have a joint or something, say, no, because... I want to do the will of God, and I know that's not the will of God. Well, if you do that, what happens? Well, it says that they begin to speak evil of you. Because you're not joining them. You're a party pooper, or, you know, you're a straight-laced prude. Or whatever you are, you know, you're judging them. Or you think you're better than I am. And they speak evil of you. Let them speak evil of you. They spoke evil of Jesus too. They spoke evil of Paul and the rest of the apostles. They spoke evil of the saints down through the ages. Now it's my turn, it's your turn. We need to have this clear mindset, armed, you see, with the mind of Christ, as to why we are not going to live like the rest of the world. It's not because we choose not to. That's not the the, the reason. It's because God does not approve of such thinking and such behavior, and therefore, I follow the will of God. It's a faith decision. Well, in verses 5 and 6, Peter says that these people, these people who judge us, these people that speak evil of us, these people that may persecute us, may ostracize us, they will give an account to God. It's hard sometimes when you look around the world, you look at everything that's going on, you look at at, um, the people the world listens to. I mean, 
we're, we're, we're in such a crazy moment in our history that uh, you can be a nobody and go on to TikTok, and I don't really know what TikTok is, but you can go on to TikTok and you can become a star and become a millionaire because people, you know, you're willing to do certain things on that platform, on that forum. There are women, young ladies, well, they're not ladies. There are young women nowadays, older teenagers and and up, who now take their clothes off online for people, for guys who pay them to do that. That's actually a way of making a living today. That's the kind of society we're in. We're living in societies, of course, where a man can dress up as a woman and go in and tell stories to our children at public libraries and do worse than that. We are living in a time when sin is celebrated. I mean, good grief, one of our, one of our own uh, leading politicians is a guy dressed up as a woman. And what's he call himself? Um, April Levine, isn't it? I can't remember. Anyway, he's a guy. He's a public figure. Christians need to know why that's wrong. The world's going to say it's right. The world's going to say it's okay. That it's liberating. They're going to demand that you celebrate homosexuality and deviance. And immodesty and drunkenness and the rest of it. You've got to know why you will not join them. They will be judged. They will be judged. And that judgment is not going to be a happy time. It's not going to be a good time. God is ready to judge now. Just because the hammer hasn't come down doesn't mean that these people won't be judged. And, you know, when I hear that one of these famous for five minutes people has died, you know, I'm, I, I wonder what are they meeting on the other side? It, what, you know, people may be saying all kinds of things about them here on earth, but what's being said about them in heaven? I'm sure that they're not thinking about what the world's celebrating about them down here. They're thinking much more soberly. And they wish they had not lived their lives that way. For this reason, 
Verse 6 says, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. Now, these people who are dead, these are the people who are, are believers who have died by the time Peter is writing this. Okay? That's what it's meant, is meant by that. That doesn't mean about Jesus going in to, um, preach to souls after death. Okay? That's how it's sometimes used. It doesn't mean that. It means simply that people who had, di- who had died before he wrote this, who these people knew because, you know, they lived with them, these people were persecuted and so on, they died, uh, they'd had the gospel preached to them, and it says they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but they will live according to God in the spirit. That's why we know they're saints. And, yeah, Men may judge them. Men may speak evil of them. But they will live. And they will live according to God. Why? Because they have chosen to identify themselves with the one who came to earth to die and to rise again on their behalf. And they are now his. They are identified with him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they live in him according to God, who is the God of the living. So there is a mindset that we're to have. And that mindset has got to be calculated. We have to arm ourselves so that we as he says before in verse 15 of verse of chapter 3 know how to answer those who ask us for the reason of our hope they'll speak evil of us don't expect that they'll you know you'll convert them just because you tell them why you will not live in the riotous, excessive life that they want you to. That's not the purpose that Peter is pointing out here. The purpose is that you testify to God because you've already decided that you're going to do the will of God. It's a simple thing, but I wonder how many of us do spend time thinking about this. I I'm going to take this position because this is the position God wants me to take. I'm going to live like this because this is the way God wants me to live. I'm going to have this point of view about that social issue because that's what God wants me to do. If you know God's opinion about something and you don't agree with God on that, it's not God that's wrong. It's you that's wrong. And so you need to, I need to correct ourselves constantly with this word and be on God's side on every issue. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us as we need help all the time to uh, have the same mindset as Jesus did. That single mindset of living this life for you. And whatever comes upon us, Heavenly Father, may that still be the dominant thought that's in our minds so that when suffering or difficulty comes upon us, uh, Lord, we don't change our minds when we don't question things, 
just because our circumstances have changed. Help us to keep going along the same road with the same hope in view. For Christ's sake, amen.